0: This is T.D.P.S. Eric! Yes,
1: Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet?
0: That depends. Are
1: we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between
0: men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better.
1: Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues
0: at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon, come get this seagull.
1: I can't help it if my writing Uh, sets the scene.
0: I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich?
1: Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books.
0: (laughs)
1: ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw quinn And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And Eric, occasionally (laughs) forgetting to use the microphone because he's so organically loud. Oh, he just whipped his glasses off. That with could tone. be
0: it. That could be it. Yes, it was. Whipped those glasses off. That was off. my. Yeah, that was my. Uh, from the school of Faye Dunaway acting.
1: <laughs> Abrupt glasses removal. Right. It's move three hundred and twenty-five. In lieu of actual expression or emotional development. We're back with True Crime TV Club today, so that's fun. I hope. I hope it's what people well, like.
0: We keep doing it. Like, uh, I don't think anybody can stop us. So, uh...
1: um, I recently I gave you a nice surprise. Do I know. I'm lifting my <laughs> finger. I'm doing a finger thing.
0: Oh, no. Does this mean somebody can stop us?
1: No. I surprised you with niceness recently because we had that lovely question from Angelina Farmer on the Facebook page asking people how they found our show. And one comment on there said, I don't care what they're talking about. I would listen to them compare various shades of beige. <laughs> so that's where we're. We're gonna do now. Fuck this so true crime it's all stuff. All about
0: beige today. We're all about the beige. Yeah, that's a long shot. <laughs> it's all about the beige. <laughs> it's um, all about that beige. About that beige. About that beige. <laughs> I wish we had
1: video of your hand movement during that. That's what well, she does. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Look at you. You know so much about the young people.
0: I know about that song. <laughs> it's all about that song. About that song. That's it. I can't tell you a second song that she's done. Oh. I like her, Megan Trainer. Yeah, there was a second song. There's been plenty. She's actually quite good. I always enjoy them when yeah. I hear them, but the one that I remember is that one. Okay. Well, that's good. This
1: is now a Megan Trainer podcast. Um, this True Crime TV Club, this is short. It's weird. It's it's like, I mean, we usually do things that are an hour long, but this is a standalone hour-long special that could have maybe been a movie. Well, I'll tell you what. There's
0: so many fingers going on today. You're pointing. It's I've the, been pointing. It's the finger episode. Okay, I got to have tea. The, you at home will not know anything about because or in your car or I don't know what you're up to. Um... Yeah, but you'll never know where our fingers are. I hope you're not listening to us while you're getting intimate, because we're a real buzzkill. You'll never know where our fingers are. That's all I can say. Um, Anyway. um, But, yeah, I actually watched. They did. They finished. Okay. News alert. If you haven't heard, they have actually finished posting the Renee Zellweger the thing oh, about Pam right. on Peacock. So you yeah. can now actually watch the series. So I'm gonna try and do that. But they've also posted a new um, it's called The Real Thing About Pam episode of Dateline. Oh another ninety minutes with Keith and talking about Pam. And you know how I feel about Pam. So mm-hmm. if we run out of things to talk about on on Long Shot. Okay, Because they did new stuff. Oh, look at this. They did new stuff. But you
1: haven't watched the the Renee Zellweger series. I haven't. But you watched the Dateline.
0: Yeah, this is a furtherance of their Dateline coverage of the actual crime. So I don't think what I saw would be included in the Renee Zellweger series.
1: I saw the marketing strategy that they were taking for that episode was... We've seen all your social media comments about our series with Renee Zellweger, and most of you believe this can't possibly be true. Well, guess what, bitches? We have been covering this from day one, and it's all true. They didn't say the bitches
0: part, and but I'd that was the tone. It. I did. You yeah, did. That was me. <laughs> that was you. Um, yeah, it really is. Yeah, they have. They got the. Um, they got the prosecutor to talk.
1: <gasps>
0: oh wow! Yeah. Listen,
1: what is our episode for and, the thing about Pam?
0: And they got the. Um, and they got the her replacement to talk oh oh yeah. yeah
1: okay so we let's let's just in case you're joining us for the first time and possibly the last time In episode six of this podcast, we served up on True Crime TV Club, Dateline special, The Thing About Pam. Little did we know, we
0: were on the ground floor of a true crime phenomenon. I mean, I really was, it was one of those lucked in things. I think it was like, I I always say that if I turn on the TV and Dateline is already on, I am not going to be able to change the channel. I'm actually going to watch whatever that episode is. Absolutely. Until it's through. And it's kind of like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just was like, oh, okay, so it's the thing about Pam. Well, what is that about? And I called Christopher and was like, oh, my God, you have to see this. Yeah, and you were
1: right. I had to see it. It was unbelievable.
0: It is a really amazing story. And I can see how people would have watched that special and gone, oh, y'all are kidding. This didn't really happen because it is a story where you go – I can't believe this really happened. I can't it really did it really happen. It did happen. And yeah, and there's new they've got there've been new developments in the story. So they did a new episode called The Real Thing About Pam. Right. Um, which mm. came out a couple of weeks ago and I uh, watched and
1: Okay. Oh my god. So maybe we can talk about that. But first, long shot. But first long <laughs> long, long shot. shot on Netflix. Yeah, I know, I didn't say it. <laughs> it's too much time to explain that joke you're about to make. I yeah. know. Um another show. The subject of Longshot is a young man, Christopher and Eric. After dark, we'll Christopher do that. and Eric we'll do that nights. Show. Juan Ignacio Catalan is the subject of Long Shot, which is a 1-hour documentary on Netflix. We are introduced to him at the beginning of the hour. He was tells us he was born in 1978, which is when I was born. Everybody drank. It's, it's all about, about me. Christopher.
0: Um I also like that his by brother, Mario, starts hanging out with the wrong crowd. Like I had missed that. <laughs> I'm sorry. That part of the story. I believe that is a dropped letter in the notes for the show. <laughs> I believe someone
1: was simultaneously downloading another form of entertainment.
0: Apparently so. <laughs> His bye, brother Mario. I was like, I think I saw that video. And don't yeah. think it was on Netflix. His big brother, the G, is missing from our notes. His
1: big brother Mario starts hanging out with the wrong crowd and starts coming home with things that look like stolen goods. FYI, if your friends or brothers or siblings come home with a car radio and there is no car attached to it, it might be a stolen good.
0: Um, I like that. Like how does it how does something look like a stolen gun? Well, there should be a giant automobile yes. surrounding that, this radio that, and it's really, not that there. really covers it. Yeah. yeah, that really does. Yeah, if it's
1: yeah. Okay, so um suddenly Juan, in a in a little leap that they don't really go into detail about, becomes the driver for his brother's car break ins and he gets arrested. He goes to jail, and he says that is the last time I ever want to go to jail. And so I'm going to clean up my effing act and stop hanging out with my brother so much. Are we not swearing
0: on today's show?
1: I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. Every now and then, I just I just can't bring myself <laughs> to swear anymore. I swear so much.
0: The jar is overflowing. It's
1: exhausting. The jar has bacon grease and dollar bills in it. Here's ten dollars. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> What is that from? We got to stop for that story. That's
0: the story. That's the Ethel Merman. Um, oh, what was her name? Um, she played the farmer's daughter. She lived right around the the corner. She owned the Fontaine. She had the house around the corner for me. Oh, what was her name? Famous old movie star, Loretta Young. Loretta oh, Young. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so she was Loretta Young. Was apparently really. Very proper. Mm. And she had a big hit television show. Um, She used to come in and spin in and kick the door shut behind her. I remember my oh, little high little school... Ear. I <laughs> you going, got a little problem with your earphones. I, there. I accidentally got two stuffed on you. my headphones. I got so excited <laughs> The there. spirit um, of Loretta Young took yeah, control. My high school chemistry teacher used to say that I came into the room like Loretta Young. Mm. <laughs> um Yeah, I was which was their way of saying that kid is a homosexual. That guy is gay from space. Anyway, um, his chemical makeup. Anyway, so, uh, so Ethel Merman, big Broadway star, was going to be on the the show, and she talked like a sailor. Yeah. And Loretta actually had a swear jar, Mm -hmm. and every time he said a swear word, he had to put a quarter in, and so they had get started, and what the fuck is this about? And she said, oh, we don't do that. We have a swear jar, so you have to put... So it's her, somebody else's show, so Ethel decides to be a good sport about it. she puts in the quarter and she goes along. God damn it, what the and ten minutes later she's puts in another quarter. That goes on for, you know, a little bit and she she once again, motherfucker. And um I don't think she said that, but maybe. Um and the swear jar comes out and Loretta pulls out a ten I mean, uh Ethel pulls out a ten dollar bill and she says, Okay, he has ten dollars. <laughs> Loretta, and go fuck yourself. <laughs> 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 I bet that story has
1: been told in every bar in Palm Springs. I love that story. Yeah, okay. that's probably where I heard it. Probably where you heard it. All right, let's get back to this story that we have sold five lines up before we. Well, like, it's, as you pointed out, it's a short story. It's a short story. Okay, it's August twelfth, two thousand and three. <laughs> and one by
0: brother, this- the boy's
1: <laughs> by brother is out of the picture. Mario is out of the picture.
0: That's um, he's in a different picture.
1: There's a there's a girlfriend now. And I'm I am misspelled her name here. Her name is not Almo. It's Alma. <laughs> this was a, I guess this is the end of a note-taking Adventures session. Adventures
0: in typing.
1: Adventures in typing. I was looking at the screen and simultaneously typing. Okay. Uh, Juan and Alma are having problems. He wants to come over. She doesn't want him to, but he was very persistent. Uh, which is sounds like uh, you know, negotiation for sex. Are we gonna have sex? Are we not gonna have sex? Oh yeah, it
0: was a Moody Call. She was yeah. getting there were conditions and he yeah. was not willing to agree to everything I'm not at doing first. That foot thing. Eventually yeah. he was oh, I don't mean that. I mean yeah. in terms of like the stuff they were already fighting about. Yeah he had totally. to concede certain points and eventually they negotiated uh, uh, an entente and uh he, he headed over there. And that
1: night, he's sleeping there. He has a strange dream that he's being abducted by aliens. The next morning at around 7.30 a.m., he drives into work. He works in, I think, a a metal shop or an auto shop. I couldn't tell which one It's some kind of
0: machine shop shop that
1: his father runs. They pull into the parking lot. the family business. They pull into the parking lot, and she notices a truck parked strangely close to where they usually park. Out of it comes a guy with a gun. He points it at Juan. Within seconds, they have Juan down on the ground, and they realize these armed men are the police, They're and they surrounded. are there to arrest him. They arrest him right there. They take him to Men's Central Jail, which here in Los Angeles is serious effing business. Uh, there's They're been not, so
0: many scandals about that oh, place. Oh, yeah.
1: man. It is not for the faint of heart. Um a detective named Detective Rodriguez shows up at the house where Alma is and informs her that they have arrested Juan for the murder of a woman named Martha Puebla. She was sixteen years old and she testified against Juan's brother. <laughs> not don't say it again. He's not the bi okay, brother. He's fine. Juan's big not by bi brother,
0: Mario. Well, he could be by. We don't we know. We don't know that. That's not part of the, story. On the show.
1: Um Juan and uh Alma attended the trial uh, where Martha gave testimony. She was a witness who was called to the stand. Um, However, in the course of the trial, she said she couldn't point out the shooter in court and didn't see anything. And so we don't get much detail about what else happened at this trial, but it didn't sound like she gave the damning testimony. The only thing that was really
0: significant about this trial was that Juan was there. And so
1: the police believe that you eliminated her because she was a potential witness against your brother, but she didn't deliver testimony previously, so why would you kill her after the fact? Either there are details and missing... And not
0: even shortly after the fact, like yeah.
1: years after the fact. So a desperate one calls in an attorney he's heard about, I think from a cousin named Todd Melnick, who is a total shark. And we meet Todd Melnick. He is then interviewed consistently throughout the rest of the hour. Um, oh yes!
0: Thank goodness. Oh, uh, you, you like yourself oh, some was, Todd? Was, no. was, hey, Daddy. Todd yeah. was hey, Todd Nolik was definitely. Todd I was glad that he was there. I was like, "Oh, Todd, hi." Yeah, you like come and sit by me? You like vaguely
1: psychopathic narcissists who are nine feet tall? That's, that's really your type. That's
0: really. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Like, yeah, that. Uh, what was his name? Eric Prince. I just no, could, I could not stand your, that listen. he, the, how he made me feel. Like I, I know, just, I know, hey, I Hey, he was a terrible
1: person. I have. How did we get? Where is this going this way? Because I'm gonna have to admit that I find Madison Cawthorn snacky, and it's. Oh. do no! know. Okay, we gotta get off this. We gotta get off. It'll be a whole episode. People that you lust after in shame.
0: Well, I always say, if you want to know who the selfish asshole is in the room, ask me who I think is cute.
1: And who Eric is doing a podcast with.
0: (laughs) Or that. Either one. Um, Okay. Todd
1: Melnick, (laughs) Eric's boyfriend, um, enters the scene and immediately begins picking apart the detective's case. So Todd Melnick, the lawyer, is called in to defend Juan. He begins going through all all that the detectives have compiled. Uh, the cops have a sketch of the suspect in the shooting of Martha Puebla, which matches Juan very closely. And I have to say it would match a fair amount of the Latino men in Los Angeles oh, well, County very closely. Like, it was yeah, ridiculous. 50%.
0: That, any yeah. of them, and, his, and in that particular age range, I would say yeah. the percentage would be higher. Maybe 80 to 90% of of uh, this Latino man uh, in Juan's age range. Um, Except it shows a suspect with hair below his
1: lower lip and Juan says he's never had a soul patch.
0: In addition to being uh, similar to a vast number of people, very general, it was also wrong.
1: Yeah. And... Uh, Juan points out that if I actually had committed a murder with a mustache, I probably would have shaved it immediately afterwards so that I didn't match the police sketch entirely. That doesn't seem to have an effect. The death penalty is being mentioned. Um, Todd Melnick feels right away that Juan didn't do it. And so he tells him with great confidence, I'm going to get you out of here. We are simultaneously seeing bad, low-quality video footage of the two detectives involved in the case— Which suggests that things did not go well for these detectives. Like this is clearly like an inquest. I don't know.
0: And they are in no way connected with this production. Absolutely, this is found footage, babe. This is the best
1: we could lay our hands on. So Juan's alibi for the murder is that he was at a Dodgers game at Dodger Stadium here in Los Angeles, and that's the date of the murder is May twelfth. He, this is part was actually a little funny, he bought the Dodgers tickets as a Mother's Day gift for his mom. Like
0: what of a son of a bitch move.
1: Knowing that she would not want to go and that he could then go with his daughter to the Dodgers game, which is what he claims he did. So Todd Melnick says, oh, fine, we'll prove that you were at the Dodgers game and that'll get the whole case thrown out. Um, That initially proves
0: to be harder. That's a lot harder than you'd think it would be, huh? Because anybody could have bought the tickets. That doesn't prove you were there. So here's what happened
1: at the murder scene, okay? So the eyewitnesses to Martha Puebla's murder say that Martha came outside her home around 10 p.m. to talk to a bunch of other adults who were probably friends of hers, about
0: four or five people. I was imagining like Evita coming out onto the balcony. <laughs> she like, what is this about? Why not go in the living room? What's happening What's happening? Her nightly address
1: to I her neighborhood. Yeah. Um, a Chevy Malibu comes driving slowly down the street. Meanwhile, over at Dodger Stadium, the baseball game is in a tie and it's going into the ninth inning around this time. Back on Martha's street, someone gets out of the Chevy Malibu and approaches her. Martha says to the shooter, hey, you remember me? And the shooter says, no, you don't? Is that the exchange or no, I don't? We're working from some really terrible notes for this episode, so I think it's no, I don't. (laughs) The shooter says, no, I don't. He pulls out a gun and shoots her in the head. The main and only eyewitness, I don't know where the four or five other adults she was apparently talking to went, but they're not discussed. I have to
0: say, I have my own thoughts about this particular moment, which we'll return to. We'll
1: return to, because there's not much to get through. I'll, I'll take us through it pretty quickly. Um, the eyewitness drops his cell phone and runs from the murder scene. Uh, He later talks to the police. He looks at tons of photos. He gives them the sketch that they then use to arrest Juan. Um, Meanwhile, um, over at Dodger Stadium, according to Juan's testimony, he is going to leave the game, which is
0: running late, and I think it was clear who the winner was going to be. I don't know baseball well uh, enough. There was a point where he wasn't going to leave because it was tied, but then somebody... um... Drove, drove in some big run, and I mean, it just yeah. cleared the bases, and it went just. Well, look at you with your baseball. It just went Wait, over. What that. Do you, when do I, you? This is what they said on the show. Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't put it in the notes because I was not doing bad I notes. Because I remember the uh, the the game from <laughs> all these years you ago. You could have been 2003. there. Two thousand three. I could have been. You've been to Dodgers. But State. if I had been there, I would have been shopping or getting more yogurt. Er- <laughs> I would not have been watching the game. The thing about baseball is when things are going well, that means nothing is happening. (laughs) And that's when I go shopping. That's when I read my book. That's the thing about... Well, see, that's kind of antisocial. But the thing about sporting events is that underneath that stadium is a mall. I don't and know. You, you, you can always sh-
1: say this, but Dodger Stadium has like two hot dog stands underneath yeah. there. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no I, mall. There's we're, no
0: Nordstrom. There's no bookstore. I just have to say you're not really, you're not looking at the, you I, You need to go back to Dodger Stadium. Maybe okay. with me. Did I it, tell you there is no Nordstrom? There, sure I right. have a
1: Dodger Stadium story and this was like one of those moments where a gay porn fantasy you've lived with your whole life gets shattered I was dating a guy who was in a fraternity or he had been in one recently and had graduated college and we went to a baseball game with his fraternity and you may think that's going to be like a Sean Cody movie until you've actually hung out with the with the broken down stone slobs that are actually in every fraternity
0: <laughs> or you've watched a Sean Cody movie. <laughs> <laughs> they were throwing peanuts
1: at each other and they were drunk and they were like, ah, And I was like, this isn't hot. None of you are charming. I need to get out of here. I mean, boy, I was reasonably into the guy I was with at the time. That's I, hope a great story. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs>
0: I hope he does.
1: Oh yeah, I don't think he does.
0: But you told him that at the time. I don't think any of this would be a surprise. I've heard you tell the story in front you of You just before. you think
1: it's gonna be like all these hot it's not a falcon video when you actually spend time with the fraternity like I went in the fraternity house once Yeah, it's like and sexy it was prison like prison
0: movies. It's no. like the people in the prison are not sexy. you're not gonna have a sexy experience. But I went inside the fraternity house and
1: it wasn't a pos it wasn't possible to tell where the original walls were because so much was growing on the walls. Like, it was like, I did, was there a fire, and was it like five minutes ago? That was my response to his fraternity house. It was disgusting. Anyway, back to back to Juan, who's on, tra-
0: <laughs> being, who's on trial for his life.
1: Being,
0: <laughs> back from Christopher's dating story about himself.
1: Oh, okay, we can talk more about your shopping trips around the basement of Dodger Stadium. That was at stadium. least
0: about baseball. Oh,
1: hot dogs at a baseball stadium. You triggered me. I was
0: going for frozen yogurt, but okay. it's fine.
1: Okay, so the prosecutor assigned to Juan's case, <laughs> shifting gears, has never lost a murder in her career. Her name is Beth Silverman, and they call her the sniper because she likes to pick people off with the death penalty. And
0: she is everything that is wrong with prosecutors. Uh,
1: we should, we, and I want you to bottle that up and then unload at the end of the episode. Um, So Todd asks Alma, Juan's girlfriend, to find the tickets from the baseball game, but not to touch them. She does. He contacts Sam Fernandez, who is the senior counsel for the Dodgers, and explains to him that they're trying to establish an alibi for a murder suspect. And um, Juan got the season tickets from a friend. Um, so Todd tracks down all the people who were sitting in the seats around Juan. I don't know how the hell he did this, but he must have used Sam and whatever records the Dodgers had to find these people. Nobody that they find says they can remember Juan with enough confidence to be willing to testify in a trial. So that's a dead end. Meanwhile, Juan is transferred to a super max prison, which sucks, um, especially if, you know, you're innocent. Um <laughs> They Todd. Otherwise, it's an
0: absolute spa trap.
1: Todd is searching the in-house cameras at Dodger Stadium that broadcast up onto the stadium screen, trying to find just a glimpse of one among forty thousand people. He does, but the resolution is really low, and he he doesn't. But he does. I know it's incredible, sweeping the whole stadium. I thought they called that thing a jumbotron, but they don't refer to it as that in the special, and I don't want to sound like a moron. Oops, too late.
0: Um. The police and the prosecutor are trying. It's because everybody calls it something that relates to the team that they're in, so they probably call it the Dodger cam or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's true.
1: Absolutely. See, you are an expert on baseball. Don't pretend. I've
0: been to a fair amount of Dodger games. Oh, God, we used to go, so those, you should see those pants.
1: Yeah, oh, that's fine. Call me when they're gymnasts. Um, we find see? out that. <laughs> you
0: see how it starts.
1: Yeah. We find out that Juan didn't mention the Dodger game the night of his first police interview, and the prosecutor is trying to sort of make something out of this. Once again. But he is saying he was so, he was so shocked by what they were saying to him that when you just throw out what to him is a random date, May 12th, he couldn't process what he was doing on that night. And I sort of sat there and thought about that, and I'm like, yeah, like, I don't— Four weeks from now, if you arrested me and threw out the date of this recording session, I might not be able to remember it offhand unless I got my calendar out and was looking through it. You well, know,
0: let me just say this about that. <clears throat> if they bring you in to ask you about something like that, don't talk to them. Yeah, totally. Tell them if they're not charging you with anything, you're leaving. Yeah. And if they are charging you with something, you want a lawyer immediately. Mm-hmm. And don't say anything other than those And I'll two say, things.
1: and my lawyer is Eric Shaw Quinn, and they'll run screaming from the room. Oh, my God, not him. <laughs> no, no, not him. Okay, you can go. You no, can go. No, we're not. We can't do it with Eric. Okay. Uh, Juan remembers that something was being filmed inside the stadium. Uh, in the vicinity of him and that there were cameras and occasionally there were security personnel blocking the aisle to his seat, which is really strange. And like, if you know anything about film shoots, his description of it is like, what is that like a half-assed film shoot? It doesn't sound like a normal film shoot where they shut down streets and have big lights and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he said a man was walking up and down the stairs for different takes and Todd goes, huh. So he investigates and he finds, indeed, there was a production permit filed for the stadium from an obscure production company, which turned out to be HBO. And let's let's be Hollywood people here for a second. They, they are, there's always like a front in front of our front names or fake signage in front of film shoots in general. Like you can drive all over Los Angeles and you'll see a random sign that says um, –
0: Parkway Tavern Company, this way. And it's really code for... It's yellow and it's written in magic marker on a yellow sign and it's stuck on a a lamppost pointing down a driveway.
1: And the reason they're not going to use the name is because it can often be the next Channing
0: Tatum movie. And if they put the
1: actual title up there, randos will be crowding the set They're trying
0: not to attract a crowd, but to also be able to direct people who are driving there from wherever. And so, yeah, so there's some random production company. So,
1: he calls and it's HBO. And a producer answers by the name of Tim Gibbons, who's actually fairly well known. And he is working for a show called Curb Your Enthusiasm, which many of you may have heard of, starring Larry David, who was the creator of Seinfeld. Which, if you
0: listened to us last week, this is the part where Larry David is a part of our this week's <laughs>
1: true crime uh, TV club. So, they were shooting the seventh episode of their fourth season. <laughs> The premise of uh, the—I thought this was pretty fun. Yeah, it actually is pretty good. The premise of the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm—that's what we're talking about now—is that Larry is trying to get to a Dodgers game, but the traffic is so bad, his only option is to use the carpool lane, and in order to have somebody in his car, he picks up a (laughs) prostitute— off of a street corner and brings her to the game and brings her to the game where she begins to complain about how shitty the seats are. And so he sees a friend of his sitting in much better seats and he tries to go down to that man's seats and talk his way into a better position and it doesn't work out. So those
0: seats were apparently right down in front of where Juan Juan was watching the ball game, but this with his daughter
1: was a very weird film shoot because they were shooting it. They they had to be invisible to the Rather other people. Rather than
0: filling up Dodger Stadium with with um with extras, they just shot it during a the game. They got permission from the Dodgers. They came in and shot during the game, and they shot from a long shot camera from a long way away while the action took place at a great distance. Right, which I thought was amazing. And yeah, I, it really I, was. I, but my question is, I guess they
1: didn't get releases from everyone at the stadium, or they must have posted notices There's that you might be on a show. There's already
0: notices published at Dodger Stadium, because you could wind up on Dodger Camp.
1: Oh, so that's a good point.
0: That's a good point. They're filming the games, so I think everybody has to agree to that. By yeah, It probably says it on the back of your ticket.
1: But what they did do was they would briefly block the aisle where Larry David was moving to go talk to his friend. And so Juan gets up from his seats, which he's already shared with investigators. He said, I got up from my seats at a certain time to go visit that shopping mall to- that Eric Shaw loves. <laughs> That's correct. To go to the Nordstrom at Dodger
0: Stadium and, and get a festive frozen, scarf. frozen yogurt for yeah. his daughter.
1: Okay, so they—and he's coming back, and the PA, who they interview—that stands for production assistant here in Hollywood— um, and everywhere else. Blocks him briefly, but doesn't have really good communication. Except
0: Pennsylvania, where it stands for Pennsylvania. <laughs>
1: for Pennsylvania. You always have to get a Pennsylvania joke in there, right. don't you? The PA lets him go early. He should have technically, so that Juan ends up walking past Larry David to get to his seat, not really knowing who Larry David is. I mean... And in the process of that, he ends up in the episode. So Juan's alibi is in the episode, which has not aired yet, by the way. And,
0: and there's some question about whether or not they're even going to let Todd look at the footage yeah. at the beginning until they ask Larry, who is actually interviewed for this, who yes. says, yeah, sure, Gladham, sounds yeah, cool.
1: Totally. And all this tape has time code on it, so they know exactly what time all of this is unfolding. Um, but the the I think the last time Juan appears on it is at 915 Right? Is that how it happened? Yeah.
0: And if he had really like jumped into the car and his daughter had sat in the back seat while he did the crime, he could technically have gotten there. And so they have to put him there longer or prove that he wasn't there. And they think of cell phones.
1: Yes. And so they use cell phone technology to fill in the gap. <laughs>
0: That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022.
1: Something I left out that was made clear earlier that was part of the case... Mario was
0: by. No.
1: <laughs> Other than the G in big, um, Juan was on Mar- Martha Puebla's street after the game because he was dropping off his cousin who went to the game with him. So the, pro- the prosecution has been using that against him, and it's why it's so important for them to fill in every minute of where he was. Um after he shows up on the Curb Your Enthusiasm footage, okay? So they do that, as you said earlier, by using cell phone technology. There is a big cell phone tower close to Dodger Stadium, so if you're going to make a call, you're going to ping off that tower. There's not a lot of ambiguity. And sure enough, he made a call to Alma when he was leaving the game at ten ten, saying that the game is wrapping up, and they are able to confirm through cell phone technology that he was at Dodger Stadium at 10:12 p.m., which I believe would have made it impossible for him to commit the murder because the murder happened right around 10. I think we said that already. Martha came out of her house to talk to her
0: friends at 10 p.m., so there's just no way he could have done it. Right. So the prosecutor has been presented with all of this evidence, and yet— She takes the trial to a preliminary hearing. She continues hearing. to push forward. So a preliminary
1: hearing, I feel like we almost never hear about because everybody or every case we talk about, they sail through them. But this, the preliminary hearing here, was was very important. Yeah, and so what we see is footage of this trial. We're introduced to the judge, whose name is Leslie Dunn. I was not that impressed with. You were not that impressed with.
0: Not very impressed with. Uh, Yeah, like she acted like the cell phone information was somehow this incredibly baffling foreign language that she'd never heard before. It's like, it establishes that he was there at 12 minutes after 10. Like, what else do you need to hear? You know, yeah. that was just too much for her. So she asked for the um, the interview, right? The tapes of the interview. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, this part was like, oh. And so
0: she took them home with her uh-huh. and played them for her children <laughs> and asked her children if they thought he sounded guilty, which I was like... You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I thought
1: it was like like uh, and is
0: she disbarred now? Like I yeah. I'm sorry, like maybe you did that but you admitted it like and on tape in front of the camera. then she posted them on Facebook and it had a poll, do you think Juan is guilty right. or not guilty? I just yeah. really was like, "Oh my god, you're the most incompetent boob ever." But since the um the prosecutor was a corrupt shark, then mm-hmm. whatever.
1: Um, That said, the judge sets him free. She says there is not enough to send this to a jury trial. John uh, Juan Catalan is a free man, and all he wants upon his release is a Coca-Cola because they don't have soda in jail. He receives a $320,000 cash settlement against the city of L.A. and the police force, which is not enough. Um, Even close. We are not privy to apparently... Uh, the fact that the detectives really took it on the chin because their questioning of Juan was deceptive. They lied to him. Yeah, what was the the lie?
0: They did did the thing that they do, they're allowed to do, and I think it's really controversial, and it's something we need to get rid of in this country. They are allowed to lie to people that they are uh, interrogating. They're allowed to say, we found your fingerprints at the scene, Mm -hmm. even though they didn't. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you explain us finding your fingerprints at the scene? Like Mm -hmm. people would get rattled and are like being misled. Like, no, you can't say that if you didn't find the, so they, they said they had evidence that he was there that they didn't have. Yeah. Is what they did. And that was, you know, they decided that that was inappropriate. Plus they had done something with the photo array. Yeah. They had circled a photo, but I
1: I couldn't understand if it was, they had, Said to Juan that I don't, I that was the part where I lost the thread. I don't, because if they circled a photo and showed it to a potential eyewitness, yeah, that's really that's on that's I, I dirty can't pool, even and that was that, the
0: thing that took him out. Okay, so Detective Pinner
1: was uh removed from homicide cases, and his partner, Detective Rodriguez, was transferred to auto fraud detail, which I imagine is a demotion in Alaska, and both refused <laughs> to be interviewed. Um, So we got the, hence the terrible found footage of them. And the postscript was that the FBI later opened a case and discovered that four other men were responsible for Martha Puebla's murder. Four. Four. The key word being four. They all took deals and ended up in federal court for life without possibility of parole. Okay,
0: federal prison. Federal. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Remember, this was shitty notes week. Court could take a really long time. but <laughs> it's worse than prison maybe sometimes. Maybe not. Like, oh, yeah. No, so particularly know. if you're on the jury. But, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That was my response to that. Like, I'm sorry, there was one eyewitness and he identified one person as mm-hmm. killing Martha and four people were taken down by the FBI. So, like... Yeah. Was the the witness just lying? Well, there was there, or was he not a witness? Or what the fuck was that? There about? had to
1: be a driver to the car who was never. I, I don't. I, they weren't clear if the driver of the Malibu was the guy who got out and shot her in the first account. Um, so there's that. But unload on the prosecutor because I love it when you go after overzealous prosecutors. It's well, it my just kink.
0: really drives me crazy. It's what drives I, you crazy is that the object is to. Get the right person for the crime in jail, not to win. This prosecutor, and it is the thing that makes me crazy with Mm -hmm. prosecutors, is they get obsessed with winning and forget that that's not the purpose Mm -hmm. that they have been hired to fulfill. They are there to get the right person uh, convicted for the right crime in prison for an appropriate time period, not simply to win at all costs. Yeah. If your evidence doesn't support what you're doing. And the thing that makes me really angry at people like this is they will tell you both sides of the same story. They will either say, well, I didn't prosecute because I didn't feel like the evidence supported whatever, or they will say, I prosecuted, well, it's what the evidence, it's where the evidence led us. Like, there is no evidence here that leads you to him. There is not one single piece of physical evidence to place that man at that's the scene of that crime other than that bad sketch from the eyewitness who missed the other three guys mm-hmm. like and who ran away dropping his own cell phone. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm not really all that impressed with that evidence. There's no gun. There's no murder weapon. There's no... Footprints, there's no pictures, there's no DNA or fiber or anything else other than an eyewitness, which is one of the most unreliable Mm -hmm. pieces of evidence you could possibly have under that circumstance. Having been held at gunpoint, let me just tell you the only thing you can describe accurately is the gun. Mm So it was it's just a preposterous prosecution. and then to be presented with, here's footage of him actually with his daughter at a ball game that's going to air on HBO this fall, right. And a cell phone ping saying that he was at Dodger Stadium at 1012. What is it? What else do you want? And she still pursued. Prosecution. Mm -hmm. And she won't count this as a loss because it was a preliminary hearing, so Mm -hmm. that she can keep her record. And the fact that she's keeping a record, Mm -hmm. I think, is contemptible and possibly nauseating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A record of how many people, as opposed to, Mm -hmm. I think there ought to be a requirement that they present all evidence that they find, period all of it even stuff that completely contradicts what they're saying because they need to answer for that in front of the jury and the judge mm-hmm. they selectively put up whatever evidence they can that they can win that supports whatever premise that they're putting it, putting forward i just think it is the most it is entirely too much power to put in the hands of one person mm-hmm. over the life of another person yeah. Without any sort of appeal. There is no punishment for getting it wrong. There are no consequences for getting it wrong. And many cases they will keep an innocent person in jail rather than admit that they are wrong.
1: hmm. hmm. It
0: is just the most inexcusable. I just think it is a really screwed up part. And there are plenty of screwed up parts. Right. It's one that seems like a pretty easy fix to me.
1: OK, so I'm going to I'm going to push you. Sidelong into our other topic, because you watched the additional Dateline coverage of The Thing About Pam, which we talked about at the top of the show. And a big part of that case, without summarizing the whole thing, is that a really shitty prosecutor brings a bad case against an innocent man because of a bullshit story from this woman, Pam Hupp, who is, in fact, spoiler alert, a multiple murderer who yeah. is revealed to kill uh, have killed almost everybody who was murdered in this story. And
0: she killed people after she, yeah. got, she wasn't prosecuted and imprisoned for the murder she did commit in the first place.
1: Yeah. So- What was it like seeing the prosecutor – because in the original uh, episode of Ballot, there's no sign of the prosecutor other than file footage of her being completely rooked by this sociopathic lunatic and building a whole case on her bullshit story.
0: And she does the thing that I just said. She says, well, I can only prosecute the case based on the evidence that I'm brought. Yeah. And Keith really was relentless. I mean, he really said – Really? So, Mm -hmm. like, what about now? He kept going further and further. And what about now? Now did you doubt her? Now do you think? Yeah. Whatever. By the end, she still thinks that that husband...
1: That's so stupid. Anybody who knows that story knows that husband. I mean, there's already
0: somebody, like... And the new prosecutor is actually trying Pam, not only for that crime, but he's investigating the murder of Pam's mother. I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything to those of you who are listening. What episode did we – episode six? Six. It was early. Early on. A recap of the whole murder. But basically this woman um, kills her best friend or a friend of hers who she's tricked into signing over her life insurance to her um, and then – By going in and bearing false witness against the woman's husband, the friend's husband, she manages to, through this incompetent investigation and prosecution, cause the woman's husband to go to prison for her murder, even though he has an alibi. And there is, once again, no physical evidence to suggest that he in any way committed the crime. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Pam was the last person to see her alive. Pam got her to sign over the, whatchamacallit, like the prosecutor actually got them to exclude the fact. That she had gotten her to sign over the um, the life insurance four days before the murder. Like, they're not even allowed to present that or present any several other really incriminating parts of Pam's in the original trial where they convicted the husband. So in the absence of actual evidence, mm-hmm. because the only objective was to win, not to get it right, which is the thing that— I was talking about that makes me crazy. They sent an innocent man to prison for three years and he ultimately got a multi million dollar settlement Good. for having been. But what do you think the root cause of the problem is? Is it the fact
1: that these are elected phys- officials often that they're thinking about politics? Absolutely. And, yeah. A,
0: they're elected. That should be taken off the table. It should stop being political at all. It should be entirely a job based on merit. Maybe the person – maybe the DA is elected, but they don't actually participate in any of the trials mm-hmm. and they only administer the department and that the decisions are made actually by lawyers who are I, maybe like judges appointed mm-hmm. or in mm-hmm. some way who are in the jobs that um, that they, they are there for merit and should stay on merit and people who are – in, and so that you don't have people competing – To win Mm -hmm. because if you're being elected, I've never lost a case. Mm -hmm. But the next time you hear somebody running for one of those jobs who says they've never lost a case, don't vote for them because that means that they have pursued winning Mm -hmm. above justice. The truth. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the truth, but justice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, it really, I just really don't think it should be competitive. It just, it, it screws up people. and I hope that, you know, as we often suggest, these are actually the minority of cases. But I'm not very convinced of it. I'm worried that the it's system not, seems I'm, really set up to support people. I, I'm worried that w- what you, you
1: mostly have are people. Caving under the weight of this sort of bullshit evidence, we've got a bad eyewitness statement, we know it was you, they lie to people, and that person cops a plea rather than standing up for themselves.
0: Or falsely confesses to a crime falsely they didn't commit. Right,
1: exactly. Which is the we, other thing.
0: We need to get rid of right. that thing where they can lie to them and say they found evidence that they didn't find.
1: I And I will, you know, Marcia Clark is a friend of ours and she has never heard us express these opinions. I don't know. But she was, we interviewed her for our, our previous podcast, The Dinner Party Show, and she said the vast majority of cases are are about plea deals because the system cannot handle every criminal case going to trial. There's just no way. There wouldn't be the court space for it. So most of what is entering the system results in
0: some sort of plea deal. And a lot of those
1: result in people going to prison who are maybe just
0: caving. It's just easier to go to prison for a little while than it is to continue to fight a seemingly insurmountable. And that shouldn't be the objective. Like, I don't think we want to clog the, the court system, but I think we want to actually do a better job of convicting the people that are actually guilty, and of, and of not letting them go once they're there. I did, but
1: this is about this is about not only I don't know if culture is the right word. It's about what qualities we valorize. I think as a culture. And this idea that a good detective has good gut instincts—like I don't want anybody's gut instincts sending anyone to jail for life, or God forbid, sending them to the gas chamber. I think
0: it's fine if that's what's leading you in your investigation, but you but need it needs to, to meet up with evidence.
1: Facts, yes, and you need to, and not guts. Yeah, and eyewitness testimony is notoriously wrong. And if that's if that's a major instrument that's being used to force plea
0: deals on people who are too weak to stand up for themselves, that's a problem. I think in, I think it's England no mm-hmm. longer accepts confessions. Yeah. You actually have to prove it. Yeah. Like that's the thing that seems to be getting lost in all of this is that you actually have to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. And dirty tricks and gamesmanship and Selective evidence and Mm -hmm. hiding your discovery in a box full of, you know, old gum wrappers and coupons Mm -hmm. um, is shitty and should not happen, which is why I say you have to present all of the evidence that you find, all of it. Yeah. So if you find somebody else who's suspicious and you find somebody who says he wasn't there and you find what you have to present all of that and you have to answer for it. You could Mm -hmm. still make the case, but you have to make it in the light of all of the evidence, not just the evidence that supports your theory, because I'm not interested in your theory. I'm interested in what actually happened. And if the if the jury's going to decide that or a judge is going to decide that, then they should have all the facts, not just the ones you want them to have because your major objective is to win Mm -hmm. because that shouldn't be why you're there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That should not be why you're there. Right. Right. I think the same thing should be true for public defenders. I don't think that should be their primary objective for being there either. It should be to do the best that they can for their client. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, you want justice to be pursued, but if, your client is actually guilty, then you Mm -hmm. want them to get the kind of sentence and treatment that is going to be best for them, something rehabilitative rather Mm than um, retributive.
1: Right. Anyway. So on our next episode, Eric and I will take control of the criminal justice system and fix all these problems and record ourselves doing
0: it. And never write another book again. And never write another book again. Yeah, no, that's the problem. It's a really hard job. I don't think that it's not hard, but I really, the kind of cowboy hotshot prosecutors like this, uh, what was her name, Beth Silverman, Beth Mm -hmm. Silverstein?
1: Yeah, the sniper, that was grotesque. The sniper, isn't that repulsive? How could you
0: possibly, as a public servant and somebody who's supposed to be upholder of the law, want to be thought of as a Beth Silverman. Mm -hmm. Beth Silverman. Don't vote for her. Don't support her. And Mm -hmm. I hope that she is no longer working as a prosecutor. And if she is, I hope she quits and goes into private practice and helps people as opposed to helping herself, which apparently was all she was doing in this particular case because this young man was at a Dodger game Mm -hmm. and on... Curb your enthusiasm. He was not committing this crime as the FBI proved you incompetent, self serving hack. Sold. I just, it just yeah. made my blood boil yeah. when she was like, and she never relented about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when that woman on, oh my God, when that prosecutor on, on, the thing yeah, the it was real Prosecutor Week for you because when you she watched said that, that additional thing. When she thing, was like, yeah. no, I still think we got it right. I was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. Now, she did say she thought she'd been duped. Mm-hmm. She did admit that she – and her big takeaway was I wish I had never run for this office. I wonder where we would all be today. Yeah. Uh. Because okay. it apparently destroyed her marriage and alienated her children and whatever, like and she's been voted out of office, though mm-hmm. she now has a successful private practice, which I don't begrudge her. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. And the new um the new prosecutor is coming after her, mm-hmm. coming after Pam. Um, yeah. They really are like calling them out for it's just wow. the most inexcusably incompetent mess. Well, there you go. There we are. There
1: you are. There we all are. Changing the criminal justice system one millimeter at a time.
0: <laughs> or at least
1: talking about it or until you just getting, can't stand here it anymore. Getting worked up about it. Getting worked up about it. Um, so we don't know
0: what's going on in the next episode. We, have we haven't no programmed we them for- yet. <laughs> we forgot to think about that before today's show. So we're clueless. So next week's going to be a complete surprise. But I will say, and this isn't a sure thing, it probably won't be True Crime TV Club because we try and alternate usually. We try. But yes. that is not. But there are no promises. Because no if, if it works out that way, that's what it'll be. But it'll be something, and uh, maybe it will be. What is it? Different which shade. Different shades of beige.
1: Different shades of beige. Yes, I like this beige. I like milk. You like taupe. I'm it's, all about ivory. I'm ivory. I'm A-Crew. I'm team A-Crew. <laughs> oh, God. It sounds like hell on Earth. But it's flattering that somebody or said that. the very least Banana Republic. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do they still have Banana Republic? I have no idea. That's a idea. topic for a future podcast. I have not been shopping in about three no, years. No, that's going to be a whole episode. Is this closed? The two right? old guys who haven't been to the mall in a long time Does are like, this still exist? do they still have sharper image?
0: <laughs> Is there's still a chessman. man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, until then and forever after, I'm
0: Christopher Rice. And I'm
1: Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And
0: Eric. Thanks.
1: This is TDPS.